Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. About ten years ago, I found myself wandering the rainy, nighttime streets of Windsor, Ontario. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that particular corner of North America, it's a border town between Detroit and Michigan and the United States neighbor to the north. After being followed several blocks by a man on a bicycle, I ducked into a theater. Having decided that I could not return to my home country after being mugged by a Canadian bicyclist, I figured I'd watch Jim Carrey's The Number 23. It's a thriller that deals with obsession and mental health. It doesn't fit straight into our wheelhouse, Children of the Night, but I remember leaving rather impressed that a funny man could do something like that so well. Then, much more recently, I saw Jordan Peele's Get Out. I'll bet that many of you saw that terrific film. Again, my surprise to see a comedy professional suddenly appear in the horror genre and do such a very solid job. And then recently, in a quaint and very silent theater in Stanton, Virginia, I saw John Krasinski's A Quiet Place. After years of being a fan of Jim and Pam on The Office, it was hard to see him as something else. But let me tell you, the movie is right up our alley. This film employed a cinematic choice that I enjoy. The first scene of the movie gave all of the setup that the remainder of the movie would need. The movie front-loaded itself with all of the world-building and pacing, and I don't want to spoil anything, but the movie does open up violently, letting you know squarely what sort of time you're in for. The premise of the movie, if you haven't seen the trailer, is that there are monsters or creatures or aliens of some origin that have destroyed humanity's population to some extent, and they hunt by sound. Our family of survivors live by maintaining that silence. A good deal of the movie's dialogue is in ASL with subtitles. The family also includes a daughter who is without hearing, which is likely why her family is so proficient with ASL. And several times during the movie, her being unable to hear, and remember, noise is the genesis of danger, she is used to ratchet up the tension. If you were to ask me for a single quibble with the movie, it'd be that if you're looking for a family to survive by being silent, a girl without the ability to hear would actually be in an enormous disadvantage. In another season in my life, I lived in a house with a woman who had only a faint ability to hear. As a result, she had no idea how noisy she could be. But don't let that single item ruin my recommendation for you. All stories ask you to suspend some disbelief. The sparse audience that I was a part of for that showing of A Quiet Place included several people who bought popcorn who started to eat it, but then realized how incredibly loud eating popcorn is in that tense, quiet theater. 
We were enraptured and on the edge of our seats. Check it out. It was worth my time and my money, and I bet it will be for you as well. Let's hear some stories. Aaron Palmer is an inspiring writer of horror and dark fantasy. His primary influences are H.P. Lovecraft, M.R. James, George R.R. R. Martin, and Glenn Cook, as well as folk tales and haunted house films. When not writing, he enjoys reading, listening to heavy metal music, and working at the library. Listen with me to Aaron Palmer's It That Haunts the Forest, a Tales to Terrify original. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. rumble of chatter permeated the meeting house as the brothers and sisters milled about. Severin and Abigail sat down at their usual bench. It did not provide nearly the support to Severin's aching back that she would have liked. But soon enough she would be in bed. She could bear it for a little while longer. She did marvel, however, that even after shoveling snow all day and eating supper on the same sort of backless benches, most of the men had elected to remain standing as they socialized. She felt for them as the wind howled outside. The blizzard had started again shortly after they all sat down to supper, and it seemed that all their hard work would be undone by morning. Well, at least the weather ought to keep the wolves away. Abigail said brightly beside her. All the howling at night was beginning to worry me. They've never stayed this close, or been this numerous. Even Brother Matthew says so, and he would remember. I certainly hope so, although it may keep away hungry wolves, but it will undoubtedly bring hungry men. Severin's gaze moved to the gaunt group huddled in the corner apparently too timid to engage the believers in conversation. Do we really have enough to go around? Yes. Abigail's voice was firm. And even if we did not, we would give anyway. God commands us to help those in need. But how can we help those in need if we ourselves are starving? We are in no danger of that, don't be foolish. We have plenty in our larder. And even if we did not, we would work harder and forage more. And the Lord would notice our need, 
in the good we were trying to do, and he would provide. Abigail's expression grew slightly more stern. And may I remind you that if we turned away the hungry and cold who showed up on our doorstep, you yourself would not be here? Severin looked at her feet. At least I was honest about my intentions. The right to a full belly and a warm place to sleep are not reserved for honest men only, Severin. Severin felt her neck and cheeks grow hot with shame. But she made herself raise her head up and look Abigail in the eye and smile. God keep you, Abigail. What would I do without you? You're right. Of course you're right. It's just that I do remember what it was like to be cold and hungry. And I don't ever want to be that way again. Even the thought of starving to death sets me trembling. Abigail raised a comforting hand and patted her back, and she felt better. But I am being selfish. My fright ought to remind me how they must feel. Abigail smiled. Very true, sister, she said. And yes, it's true they likely won't stay with us, even though they claim to want to. But we will show them charity and the love of Christ all the same. And if this inspires some to remain, then so much the better. But even if they leave, we can be comforted in the knowledge that we help them survive a bitter winter. I will sleep soundly at night either way. Severin thought of how wild she'd been when she'd first come to live with the believers at seventeen. How much she'd grown in the five short years since then. The example of people like Abigail had played a large role in that, and in her eventual decision to sign the covenant, Abigail is right. I ought to be doing the same, she thought. I ought to be trying to show these winter shakers how wonderful people here can be. Just then, there was a burst of giggling from a few feet away. Little Sarah was bashfully waving to someone across the room, to the delight of the other girls and the displeasure of Eldris Georgina, who cut short the mirth with a few sharp words. Speaking of those who likely won't stay with us, Severin remarked with a smirk. Abigail laughed. Which boy is it this week? Severin looked across to the other side of the room, where a blushing curly-haired boy was enduring some good-natured taunting from his fellows. Ezekiel appears to be. Oh, she's wasting her time there. That one will end up a believer, no mistake. They sat in silence for a minute. Then Severin asked, Have you a Bible, sister? There's a chapter I'd like to read. Abigail fetched one, and in a low voice so as not to disturb the others around them, Severin began to read Romans 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Grateful as Severn was to finally be in a bed and give her aching back some rest, sleep did not come easily that night. The wind was still up, and the shutters rattled and clapped. And worse, Abigail had been wrong about the weather keeping the wolves away. Ghostly howls rose up from the forest, and goose-flesh pimpled Severin's arms, as she thought of the frightening Lou stories her father used to tell. They're all the way in the forest, she told herself. They can't hurt you. And yet sleep continued to elude her, as the eerie chorus resounded from the woods. She tossed and turned until Abigail's grumbling made her lie flat on her back. She gazed around the dark room at the chairs hanging up on pegs and the slumbering forms of her sisters. Moonlight shining through the window cast a silhouette of bare branches on the wall. The wind still blew, making them stretch and grasp 
like a goblin's greedy fingers. A chill went up her spine as the howling from the wolves intensified. There seemed to be more of them now, calling up to the heavens as if they too were seeking God. Something else howled in answer. Severin's eyes widened in horror. A deep moaning wail was coming from the forest. Unnaturally loud, it seemed to rattle the shutters harder than any wind, to shake the very foundation of the house. Severin trembled and held her breath, and only when the hideous noise stopped did she let it out. She looked around to see if any of her sisters had been awoken by it. None had. She realized suddenly that the forest was completely quiet. The wolves had stopped. Severin made herself take deep breaths, and soon her pounding heart stilled. She had no idea what could have made that noise, but the only logical conclusion was that it was some sort of animal, or the wind blowing through a cave. Ghosts were not real. Howls could not hurt her. She made herself roll over, and after a few minutes drifted off to sleep. She was awakened by the sound of something coming up the stairs. The noises were not footsteps, not the light tread of one of her sisters, nor the heavy clomping she imagined a brother might make. It sounded as though the thing was dragging itself up. Something on four legs, like a dog, or a wolf. It reached the top, and Severin heard the terrible sound of claws clacking on the wooden floor. Abigail, wake up! Severin shook her friend by the shoulder, whispering as loudly as she could. Abigail! What? Abigail mumbled. She turned over, looking at Severin confusedly. Severin, what's going on? Abigail, a wolf got... She bit her sentence off as she heard with a thrill of horror. The wolf stopped outside the door. She leaned as close as she could to Abigail's ear and whispered, A wolf got in. It's right outside. Abigail looked towards the door, then sat up in shock as the wolf began to scratch at the wood. What do we do? I don't know. Severin cried softly. An awful scraping sound filled the room as the wolf dug his claws into the door and raked them down, slowly and deliberately. Severin had just made up her mind to waking the other sisters as quietly as she could when the scratching abruptly stopped. Severin heard more clacking. The wolf was moving away from the door. She breathed a sigh of relief. But it was short-lived as the wolf then, with a great scrabbling, hurtled forward and slammed into it. Severin and Abigail both screamed and instinctively grabbed one another. The door rattled on its hinges, but it was locked firmly and did not give. The noise had finally woken the other sisters. A cacophony of voices filled the room. What's going on? What's happening? Somebody light a candle. Light blossomed in the corner of the room. Tabitha had lit a candle in one of the wall sconces. What in heaven is happening? she asked. Wolf, Severin replied. I don't know how it got in. Tabitha looked towards the door, her long face pale with fright. She flinched as the wolf slammed into the door again. I've never heard of wolves acting like this. The wolf barreled into the door a third time. Severn was frantically wondering how much more it could take, when suddenly the wolf made a curious sound. A series of huffing breaths that sounded almost like laughter. With relief, she heard it back away from the door and clumped down the stairs. The sisters stood in terrified silence as the sound faded away. Then Tabitha said, We should rouse the eldresses, get the elders and the rest of the brothers up too. If one wolf got in, others might be here as well. Susan, 
You stay here with the young ones. There was a scramble as the sisters put on shoes and warm things. Then they opened the door and hurried out. Severin saw with relief that there was no need to wake the brothers. Light shone from below, and she heard deep male voices and boots tramping down the other set of stairs. As they got to the bottom, Brother John turned to face them. What's going on? he asked. We heard this loud banging, and then someone came down your stairs. Tabitha filled him in. John's face grew grim. All right, he said. We'll grab lanterns and go to the barn and get pitchforks and scythes, and anything else we can use, and we'll see if they're still out there. Ezekiel, absolutely not. Get back upstairs with Matthew. But now, this is too dangerous. You're not old enough yet. The curly-haired boy that Sarah fancied tramped back up the stairs, looking crestfallen. John turned back to them, now looking a bit awkward. Will, uh, any of you come with us? I wouldn't ordinarily ask, but the whole pack might be out there. We need all the people we can get. Tabitha, Abigail, and Carolyn volunteered. John turned to Severin. Severin, will you... I won't force you to go if you don't want to, but I've heard you have experience with hunting and tracking. We tracked rabbits and beavers, not wolves, Severin thought. And I feel as though all I truly learned from my father was how to drink and how to curse in French. She looked down at the floor. For a moment, she could not speak. Then, unbidden, a Bible verse popped into her head. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with ye. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. She looked up, and her eyes must have been bright with the fire that had suddenly flared inside her at God's word. For John looked a little taken aback. I'll come, she said. I'm not a very good tracker or hunter, truly, but I'll come. God will not allow me to be hurt, Severin told herself as they started out. No matter what, he will let no harm come to me. They found nothing. Not even any tracks. There was no evidence that so much as a barn cat had come prowling through the village. The snow had stopped shortly before they had retired to bed. Recent prints ought to still have been there. The front door was locked and undamaged. If not for the several others who had heard the same things, Severin might have chalked everything up to a bad dream. Tired and confused, she returned her pitchfork to the barn and went with the other three sisters back to bed. Making her way carefully up the shadowed stairs and through the nearly pitch-black hallway, as they entered their bedroom, Severin wondered how the wolf could possibly have gotten through a locked door without breaking it down. There was no other way into the house. And if it could, why couldn't it get into our room? Severin undressed and sank down with Abigail onto their bed, too tired to consider it much further. The elders and eldresses had kindly declared that those who had taken part in the search would be allowed to sleep until seven the next morning. And Severin was very grateful as she rolled over and immediately fell asleep. She awoke rather abruptly. Dim light shone through the windows. She could tell it was well past six. She could hear raised voices outside. It sounded like one of the children was being told off. Severin slid carefully out of bed so as not to wake Abigail, padded to the door, and opened it. But I haven't been playing with candles. I haven't. Then what happened to the door? Dorothy, listen to me. Lying is a sin. Every lie you tell is like stepping on God's toes. It upsets him greatly. But that's enough. Go downstairs and wash the breakfast dishes. You can do that until you decide you're ready to tell the truth. Dorothy burst into angry sobs and fled down the stairs. Eldress Georgina looked sadly at the back of her bobbing head. 
then turned and saw Severin watching. "'Oh, goodness, did I wake you? I'm so sorry, dear. I know you had a long night. Thank you for helping to make sure our village was safe.' "'Of course, Eldris. Let me get dressed and I'll come help with the chores.' "'Thank you, Severin. And I'm sorry about your door. I've tried to make Dorothy mind, but that child is willful.' "'What?' Your door, dear, look. Severin turned and gasped. The door was covered in scorch marks. We'll have one of the brothers in the shop make a new one straight away. As if it hadn't been through enough with that wolf battering it. Goodness, there's little marks all over the floor, too. And down the stairs, that child. Well, come on, go and get ready. Yes, Eldris, Severin said absently. Her eyes were still fixed on the black lines that marred their door. Severin was sure that the eldress was right, that it had been a silly child playing with candles. But the way the marks were grouped together made her think horribly of claws. After breakfast, the morning's work began. The satisfying feeling of sweeping rooms and scrubbing floors helped take Severin's mind off her fatigue and the bizarre events of last night. Aside from Esther stopping in to ask if anyone had seen Eldrist Regina recently, they worked in companionable silence, and by the time afternoon arrived and the bell rang to summon all of them to dinner, Severin was in a most pleasant mood. She put aside the dress she was mending and followed her sisters out. Everyone bowed their heads and said silent grace, and then began to eat. Severin was seated across from two of the newcomers. The more gaunt of the two was eating ravenously, but the other was simply gazing around the room, looking uncomfortable, perhaps not used to a meal where talking was prohibited. Her eyes met Severin's, and, remembering Abigail's words from the previous night, Severin gave the woman what she hoped was a reassuring smile. Just then, she heard a low mumble of voices. Severin looked over, expecting to see one of the winter shakers unable to contain their chatter, and was startled when she realized the talk was coming from two elders. What was more, they had crossed over to the woman's side of the room. Severin saw several other sisters looking shocked. The elders were deep in conversation with Eldress Harriet, who was looking extremely concerned. After a minute, Elder Benjamin turned and addressed the gathered believers. Brothers and sisters, I deeply apologize for interrupting the contemplative quiet of our meal. I realize this is unprecedented. However, so is our situation. He paused and took a deep breath. Has anyone here seen Eldris Georgina today? Severin and a few others, including Dorothy, raised their hands. What time did you see her, Severin? A little before seven this morning, Elder Benjamin. Did anyone see her after that? At around seven-thirty, she told me she was going to the woodpile to get some wood for the sewing-room furnace, Carolyn said. Dorothy raised her hand. Yes, Dorothy? Well, Elder, nothing was burning in the furnace when I went there. Elder Georgina told me to meet her in there after I finished washing the dishes, and I could see my breath. And... The eldress never came. I waited for a long time, but she never came. Sister Mary went to try and find her, but she couldn't, and so she said that I could leave. Mary, is this true? the elder asked. Mary nodded. I could not find her, and no one had seen her. The child is right. There was nothing but cold ash in the furnace, she added. I had to go fetch the wood myself. Elder William and Eldress Harriet exchanged dark glances. Did anyone see her after 7.30? Elder Benjamin asked. Think hard. No one answered. Very well, he said solemnly. We will finish our dinner quickly, and then afterwards I will be accepting volunteers for a search party. Due to the seriousness of our situation, and the need to find our eldress before anything unthinkable happens, men and women both will be allowed to join. Those who have experience with frostbite or subnormal body temperatures are encouraged to come forward. 
those who have experience hunting and tracking as well. Severin thought his eyes lingered over her as he said this. Let us all take a moment to pray that this resolves happily. They all bent their heads, and Severin prayed fervently for the safe return of Eldris Georgina. She prayed for God to give her courage as well. She could not falter when the time came to go out and find the Eldress. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Despite her prayers, thoughts of wolves haunted Severin, and she and Abigail made their way through the forest outside the village. The woods were dark and gloomy, the day was overcast, and the trees crowded close together. She tried to banish images of the lean, snarling monsters emerging from tight thickets. With a jolt, she remembered the horrible wail that had resounded from these very woods the previous night. She stopped and knelt under the premise of adjusting her shoe, took a deep breath to calm herself. Ghosts are not real, she told herself firmly. You've been taking Tabitha's stories too seriously. They had had winter shakers the previous year as well, and Severin recalled one of them spinning frightful yarns about nearby Cook's Glen. Is that how you want to act, Severin? She admonished herself as she rose. Like some foolish tall tale teller, your brothers and sisters are close by. We're all making sure to stay within shouting distance. You will be fine. They walked for a while, speaking only to call out Georgina's name. At length, Abigail asked, Do you see anything, Severin? No, nothing. Severin had been keeping a sharp eye for any signs of the Eldress's passing. Abigail was silent for a moment, then asked, Did you do this with your father? You mean, look for missing trappers? No. My father did once or twice, but I never went with him. No, I mean just tracking in general. Everyone says you and your father traded furs before you came here. Oh, sometimes, yes. After he realized he would not have sons, he made an effort at first to teach me his trade when I was old enough. At first? Severin felt low as she remembered. After my mother died, my father lost the capacity to care about his work. We still went out, but most days we would both quickly become too drunk to do anything. Oh, Abigail said. I'm sorry. No wonder you don't like to talk about it. Abigail, something had just occurred to Severin. I don't see any signs of the Eldress, but truly... I haven't seen signs of anything. I know for a fact that this part of the forest ought to be teeming with wildlife. All the snow here ought to be disturbed by tracks and the like, and she had just realized something else. It's completely silent out here. I don't hear any rustling, any animal calls, nothing. Isn't animals going quiet a sign of danger? Severin turned back towards Abigail, who was looking alarmed. Yes, she replied. We should keep moving, Abigail said. Severin nodded. They hurried on. It was curious, but the lack of any other signs of life seemed to indicate that rather than going quiet at the passing of a predator, the wildlife was avoiding this part of the woods. Wait, Severin, there's something over there. Severin whirled to look where she was pointing. Something had left a trail coming out of the dense trees to their left. They ran up to it. Georgina! Abigail cried. Hopefully, Severin responded, the tracks were definitely made by a woman. The footprints are small, and you can see where the hem of her dress brushed the snow. They began to follow the trail. Here, it looks like she stopped. She turned around to look at something behind her. And... Severn went cold. What? Abigail asked. She started running from it. Abigail went pale. 
Are you sure? Yes, look how she kicked up snow everywhere, how the footprints are spaced further apart. She ran this way. The trail led them past a particularly large tree. And here Severin gasped in horror. There was a large area by the tree where the snow had been disturbed, where it looked as though something roughly the size of an elderly woman had fallen to the ground. And around the area where the head would have been, dark red speckles stained the snow. She ran into the tree, the bark's broken here. Then she got back on her feet and ran that way. But what was she trying to get away from? There aren't any other tracks here besides our own. I don't know. A twig snapped behind them. Severin turned slowly on the spot. Three gray wolves stood there, like smudges of ash from hell's own fire. Fear flooded Severin. She desperately wished she had a musket. Her father had taught her the basics of how to shoot, and she remembered enough to be able to at least frighten away the beasts. One of the wolves started forward the other two following it, the hair on its back standing up and its teeth bared in a snarl. Severin's lower lip began to quiver. She ought to shout for help, she knew, but she couldn't, afraid that the slightest sound or motion would set them charging at her. Beside her, Abigail was shaking like a leaf. Just then, the lead wolf whipped around with a growl to stare at something off to Severin's left. It changed course and all three were now stalking towards what appeared to be nothing at all. They were advancing, bristling and growling on thin air. The trees were somewhat thinner there. Severin could see that nothing was hiding anywhere. She kept her eyes firmly on the wolves, still very frightened, but now baffled as well. Suddenly, the wolves stopped. They hunched over and began to whine. They slowly backed away, ears flat against their heads and tails between their legs, then turned and ran, kicking up great white clouds of snow in their haste to get away. Severin turned to look at Abigail, who was looking as confused as Severin felt. What in heaven? Abigail asked. I don't know, Severin replied shakily. She took some deep breaths and waited for her pounding heart to still. Georgina was still out there somewhere, and hurt they knew now. Wolves or no wolves, they needed to find her. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. She reminded herself again. She was about to shout for the other believers that they had found a trail when something caught her eye by the spot that had so curiously agitated the wolves. Steam was curling up from the ground. The snow was melting before their eyes. And then a woman's scream rang through the forest. Severin whirled around, trying to see where it had come from. That way, Abigail cried, and they both ran away from the trail that Severin hoped was Georgina's. Whoever had screamed was very close by, and they could distinctly hear weeping growing steadily louder. Very shortly, they saw a figure hunched over in the snow, shoulders heaving. Severin saw the figure look around and heard them scream thickly, Help! Somebody help! It was Tabitha. Here! Severin yelled. They pulled up beside her, a stitch in Severin's side. Severin's hand flew to her mouth as she saw what poor Tabitha was sobbing over. Oh, no, Abigail moaned. Oh, Lord Jesus, no! She, too, began to cry. He must have wanted to help us. Look! Tabitha wailed. Here, Tabitha. Come here, Severin said, fighting down the lump in her own throat. Don't look at him. She embraced the other woman while Abigail wept and prayed. As the crunch of snow and the rustling of frozen leaves signaled that other nearby believers were hurrying towards them, Severin shut her eyes to block out the horrible sight over Tabitha's shoulder. 
the belly opened up, intestines hanging out, limp like dead earthworms, the torn throat, the chewed-on face, and the blonde curls atop the small head. Tabitha had not found Georgina, but young Ezekiel. Even if there had been no stricture against speaking during meals, Severin did not think anyone would have had the heart to say much at supper that night. Gloom permeated the dining hall, etched in every face, painfully evident in the listless way that most people were eating. Poor Sarah was not touching her food at all, simply staring into space with red, puffy eyes. Later, in the meeting-house, when everyone joined together in a prayer for Ezekiel, she burst into renewed tears and ran from the building. Esther hurried after her, looking like she wanted to cry herself. Severin sadly recalled when her mother had died, how her father had done nothing but lie in bed for two days, until she held his skinning knife to her throat and threatened to kill herself unless he ate something. That was the only time she could remember such an environment of misery. Returning from ascertaining that Esther had found Sarah safely, Severin saw Abigail on their usual bench staring at the floor. She sat down next to her and put a consoling hand on her back. "'How are you faring, sister?' Severin asked. "'Not well. I... I have never seen anything like that.' "'Oh, that poor boy!' "'Carolyn told me that she overheard Elder Benjamin speaking with the sheriff. "'The sheriff's going to get together some men and go into the forest, "'and they're going to shoot every wolf they see.' "'At this, Abigail's face contorted as if she were in pain, "'and she drew a deep, shuddering breath. "'Abigail?' "'Severin.' There are rumors that it was no wolf that killed Ezekiel. What? What else could it have been? The talk is... Well... Abigail stopped, and a tear ran down her cheek before she composed herself. Around Ezekiel's body, you remember, there wasn't a lot of blood. Severn nodded. According to the doctor, supposedly, Ezekiel's wounds had been... Cauterized. Abigail, that's not possible. Then why was there so little blood? Abigail hissed. Hush, sister, Severin said, looking around them. They were starting to attract stares. Please, we are already distraught enough. Do not help spread further fear. Severin draped her arms around Abigail's shoulders and pulled her close. I don't know about the blood, Abigail. Maybe it was too cold for it to flow properly. I don't know. But there must be some explanation for it. Abigail sighed. You were raised wild, Severin. You didn't know God. You don't know the spirits and dark forces that Satan sets against us. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Severin gave Abigail's shoulder a squeeze. God will protect us, Abigail, whether from wolves or devils. He will keep us safe. She sighed. I'm sure there is divine work behind this. Our Lord had a reason for taking Ezekiel so early. Inscrutable though it may be to us, he has a plan. Abigail straightened up and smiled at Severin. You've come so far in such a short time here, sister. Thank you. Severin smiled back and took Abigail's hand. They sat in silence, Severin trying her best to silence the voice in her head that whispered that no benevolent divine plan should involve the mutilation of a child. Trying her best to not think of Eldris Georgina, whom none of the searchers had found. Trying her best not to think of the melting snow, or scorch marks, or horrifying howls, or sounds like laughter, right outside their bedroom door. Gossip had traveled fast. 
Severin saw several other sisters give the burned door dark looks. She climbed into bed with Abigail, and they lay back and settled into the warm covers as the lights were put out. But after some time she could tell that Abigail was still awake. Poor woman. She herself was having trouble banishing the image of Ezekiel from her mind. Severin took a deep breath and emptied her head of all thought, emptied her heart of all feeling, just as she had done to fall asleep in those dark days after her mother had died. She did not remember drifting off, but she must have done so, because she jerked awake and had the sense that several hours had passed. She felt an urgent call of nature and quietly slid out of bed. As she was returning the chamber pot to its place, she heard something moving downstairs. She listened closely. She could not tell if the sound was human or animal, but whatever it was, it was making its way down the hall on the floor below. Severin froze, frightened. Then a thought occurred to her. Georgina, perhaps Georgina has found her way home. She wondered if she should wake her sisters, then thought of how she would feel if it turned out to simply be one of the other believers up during the night, or how much danger that would put them in if it were a wolf again, or if it were something else. No, there is no something else. She hesitated for a moment, unsure of what to do, and then steeled herself. If it is Georgina down there, she might be hurt or sick. She's been out in the wilderness for a day and a night. She might need my help. She fetched a candle and lit it, and padded down the stairs. There was nobody in the hallway, but the noises had stopped. Severin prowled around the house, softly whispering Georgina's name. No one answered. She looked in the sewing room, the laundry room, the room where they packaged seeds to sell in the warmer months. Everywhere. She even went down the stairs to the basement, where even with the candle, she could only see a few feet in front of her, and called the eldritch name to the darkness. No sound answered her. Disappointed, she ascended the stairs and began to make her way back down the hallway. She had taken only a few steps when she realized something had followed her. It was walking behind her, slowly matching her pace. Trembling from head to toe, summoning all the courage she could muster, Severin stopped. The other steps stopped as well. Severin called, Hello? No answer. Is anyone there? No answer. She took a deep breath and turned around. She saw nothing but the hall, dim orange in the little light of the candle flame, adjoining doorways filled with shadows like roaring mouths. Heart pounding, Severin slowly turned back around. She took two steps forward and stopped. Her pursuer took two steps forward and stopped. And in the moment after she had halted, when all was still and the answering footfalls could be clearly discerned, Severin heard something that drove her near mad with fear. The click-clack of claws. Severin lifted her nightgown and ran in full sprint down the hallway. The candle quickly went out and she tossed it aside. She flew to the stairs and grabbed the newel post to keep herself from hurtling past them. She flung herself up the steps, slipping on the wood and falling momentarily, frantically scrabbling and clawing until she gained enough purchase to half-run, half-crawl to the landing. She tossed one wild glance downward to see if the thing was chasing her, but again saw nothing. She found her feet, finally, and dashed to the bedroom, flung the door open and slammed and hurriedly locked it. Several sisters sat bolt upright, and Abigail shot out of bed and ran over to Severin, who had collapsed against the door, sobbing. "'There's something downstairs,' she cried. "'Something downstairs. Abigail, you are right. I'm sorry. I I'm sorry.' "'Severin! Severin! Shh, shh, shh. Abigail hugged her. 
Severin could hear the other sisters muttering around them. Just then, something ran up the stairs. Severin screamed and scrambled away as it began pounding on their door. But then a human voice sounded from the other side. Fire! It was one of the brothers. Fire! Fire in the road! The sisters all looked at each other in shock as the brother ran back down. Then there was a mad scramble for shoes and cloaks. Severin's frightful encounter momentarily forgotten. Severin's guts were water as they went down the stairs back into the dark. And she stayed very close to Abigail. But nothing was waiting for them downstairs. The thing was gone. They all hurried outside. The fire was burning in the middle of the main road of the village. Severin could not see what was alight. But there were already several brothers stomping at it and attempting to smother it with blankets. It was not large, and they had it under control in very short order. As Elder Benjamin barked orders at other believers to check all the buildings in the village and make sure nothing else was aflame, make sure no errant cinders had been blown anywhere by the wind, Brother Thomas bent down to see what had been burning. As Severin watched him, he screamed and staggered back. His hands flew to his mouth, and Severin could see his shoulders begin to shake. Severin and Abigail ran over. Brother John hurried over as well, carrying a lantern. By its light, Severin saw the horrible, horrible thing that had been a fire in the road, and she wept anew. A charred human body lay on the ground, about the size of a small elderly woman. The remnants of a dress and bonnet still clung to the blackened flesh. Eldress Georgina had returned. The funerals for both Ezekiel and Georgina took place two days after the discovery of Georgina's burning remains. The joyful songs were sung, but Severin could tell that no one's heart was really in it. Hers certainly wasn't. In the days after the funerals, everyone did their best to focus on their work and keep grim feelings to themselves when in the company of others to keep the village's spirits up and avoid a panic. But Severin noticed that Mary had begun to pray even more fervently before bed. And from what she could hear of her whispers, Mary was now singularly concerned with begging God's forgiveness for her sins and the sins of the village. She caught snippets of a conversation between Carolyn and Edith that seemed to center on a ghostly dog from England called Black Shuck. And the sheriff had been around asking everyone if they had seen anything or anyone suspicious the day of Georgina's and Ezekiel's deaths. After this questioning, Susan had somberly mentioned to Severin a story she'd heard from a Kentuckian about two highwaymen brothers who had roved around that state, killing for little more reason than their own amusement. They were both recently dead, she said, thank heaven, but her fear was that another man of that horrid sort might be about here. Severin desperately wished she could have believed Susan. But she knew what she had heard the night they'd found Georgina. Something had been following her, something with enough malicious intelligence to match her footsteps as it stalked. Something she hadn't been able to see. Something with clawed feet. She had gone down the hallway the morning after they had found Georgina. There, as she had feared, were sets of little black scorch marks leading up from the basement. Whatever had made them had not walked on two legs. Thinking of Mary's desperate prayers one night, Severin wondered what sins the little village could have committed to bring such a monster upon their head. She could think of nothing. Yes, she herself had struggled with Christian compassion at times, in regards to unfair thoughts towards winter shakers, and with her father had drunk enough whiskey and cursed enough to make Christ raise a concerned eyebrow. But the God she had met here was a forgiving God. Severin could not imagine. He would set such a vengeful creature among them, whatever it was, for their petty human failings. But if this beast was not from God, then why did he allow it to torment them? 
Severin felt sick at that thought, and turned over in bed and emptied her mind again. She felt a small bit of relief when Sunday arrived. She suspected that everyone had been looking forward to worship. She could see smiles on several faces, and even heard a titter of laughter as they finished breakfast and walked in their two lines to the meeting-house. As the dancing began, Severin could feel the tension drain out of her shoulders and back. She whirled and stomped, and slowly, a sense of tranquility filled her, spreading through her body like the hot cider her mother used to make. Her skin began to tingle. She clapped her hands in time with the song and grinned broadly and laughed. And though it was but the faintest impression of a thought, she could have sworn she heard a voice in her head say, I will always keep you safe, my child. She sighed happily. How could she have doubted? The spirit seemed to be moving Abigail particularly strongly this Sunday. Soon people were clearing the place for her in the middle of the room, keeping time with their hands and feet as she spun and shouted. Severin was glad that her friend was also finding peace in the worship of the Lord, and shouted out, Hallelujah! as Abigail danced. As Abigail passed by one of the windows, she came to a sudden, staggering halt. The ecstatic expression on her face had been replaced by one of confusion. She took a couple steps forward, peering through the glass. There's something outside, she said, raising her voice to be heard over the singing, which quickly halted. Severin walked up and looked out the window as well but she could see nothing but bare, snowy road. Where? There, Abigail said, pointing, and Severin's hands began to shake as Abigail continued. They're crouching down right in the middle of the road. Right there. I can't see who it is. They're all hunched over on all fours, and I can't see them clearly for all the snow. She ran to the window. Abigail, she said, starting towards her friend, panic edging her voice. Abigail, come away from the... But before she could finish, Abigail leapt back from the window. That's not a person. It's... Wait, it's rearing up. Severin saw her peer closer, and then her face blanched. Her eyes went wide. Oh, my God! And Abigail screamed and ran. Severin tried to grab her friend, but Abigail bowled her over, wild look in her eyes. Severin hit the wooden floor hard, pain flared in her elbow. As she righted herself, she saw in horror that Abigail, crazed with fear, was headed full speed towards the window on the opposite wall. She screamed at someone to stop her, but everyone was either too far away or too shocked to do anything. Her head went through the window with a sickening crash and left a dark smear on the wall below, as she slumped to the ground. Severin gave a wail of anguish and scrambled over to her friend. Elder Benjamin shouted at someone to ride to the worldly town and fetch the surgeon, while Severin pressed desperately on Abigail's neck, trying to staunch the grisliest of her wounds. She choked back tears as Abigail shook and gurgled under her hands. Brother Daniel ran to the door, but as he reached it, something on the other side dealt it a vicious blow. The door rattled on its hinges, and Brother Daniel stepped back in alarm, looking to Elder Benjamin for guidance. Lock it! the elder exclaimed. Daniel hurtled forward and quickly threw the lock into place, then flew away from the door as though it were covered in spiders. As Abigail's convulsions became more feeble, Severin heard that hideous huffing laughter again from right outside the door. Then, a horrible scraping. She looked up in alarm. Claw marks were scratching their way down the window through which poor Abigail had been looking. There was nothing there to make them. Several brothers and sisters screamed, and then the ghoulish, unnaturally loud howl that Severin had heard that first night of horror resounded right outside the door. Most of the believers clapped their hands to their ears, although Severin did not dare. 
even though Abigail had stopped moving. She shut her eyes and scrunched up her face as the world seemed to shake. When the howling stopped, she opened them. She found herself looking straight down at Abigail. Her friend's eyes were wide and staring, little bits of red glass scattered around her head like rubies. Severin cradled her friend's head in her lap and began to sob. Another blow shook the door. Take heart, believers! Elder Benjamin cried, God will deliver us from this monster. It cannot touch us in here. At Elder Benjamin's shout, another peal of laughter came from the thing outside. More claw marks appeared, this time on the unmarred window on the other side of the door. Single lines, not the four parallel gashes of some hellish paw. The creature appeared to be writing. Several believers gasped as the thing's message began to become clear. Yes, I can. Then the door unlocked of its own accord, and now Severin could see from the disruption of the light shining from under the door that something was standing on the other side. Please, God help us. Please, God. Around her, Severin could hear others praying aloud, but no Bible verse or soothing words sounded in her head this time. The door to the meeting house began to open. That was Aaron Palmer's It That Haunts the Forest, a Tales to Terrify original as read by Josie Babin. Making stem cells dance, wrenching on race cars, and never-ending marathon training keeps Josie busy when she is not enjoying a new story narration. She hopes you like her work. She lives in a creaky old house with lots of fixing up left to do, and her two Bengal kitties, who just love their raw diet. She no longer has that human companion. No one seems to know where he went. There is a freshly washed meat grinder in the sink, and the cats, well, they look fairly well-fed and satisfied. Thank you, Josie. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show was produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.